purpose, but we're in Titus chapter 1, and uh, we're going to read verse 9 today as we begin. So for uh, out of respect of God's word, I'd like for you to stand as we read verse number 9. And this is a little bit of a review of what we looked at last week with uh, the critical needs of the church, order and leaders, order and leaders. We saw the pastor's family qualifications, personal qualifications, and then preaching qualifications. The bishop was supposed to hold fast to the word of God. So let's look at that together, read it out loud, verse number 9, Titus 1, verse number 9. Together, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word today. I ask that you would help us as we continue our study, Lord. Uh, I need your help today, Father. I pray that you would help us to be blessed and encouraged and to grow and mature. All of those things are important for a church. Uh, Lord, I know that as we meet here, this should not be uh, just Sunday, uh, the day that we go to church, but Lord, help it to be a weekly uh, remembrance as we come and corporately worship, remembrance of what you have done for us and what we are called to do for you and for others. I do pray that you bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So his qualifications, he needs to hold fast to what he's been taught. Uh, as I mentioned last week, we think of the greatest teacher of the Bible. Who is the greatest teacher of the Bible? The Holy Spirit, okay? Um, we give a lot of credence to man. We, we are thankful for what men have written down and have spoken and preached and taught. And all of those things are important. Uh, all of that needs to be uh, filtered through the Word of God. Okay, nobody has any private interpretation, uh, specific individual word of knowledge. Uh, we all have the same Bible, amen? And we all have the same word of God, and we all have the same Holy Spirit. And there is no schism. Everything agrees. Um, the Holy Spirit does, is he's not schizophrenic. He does not say one thing over here and another thing over here. He agrees with his word. And uh, so we have the greatest teacher, the Holy Spirit. And uh, the man of God here, the preacher of the word, uh, the one that is called to preach and also called to pastor a church, should exhort and should teach with sound doctrine. And the Bible says here, as he hath been taught. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our teacher uh, we understand there's maybe a need for some uh, formal education. Some get that opportunity. It's not necessary uh, to, to preach. It's not required. Um, uh, some of the greatest preachers of the word uh, were not formally educated, but they were not ignorant. They were students of the word. And all of us can do that. Some of us think, well, I missed the boat. I missed an opportunity. I could have done this or that. I missed the opportunity, some might say, to go to a Bible college or to do uh, some kind of Bible institute. You have the greatest teacher of the word of God, if you're saved, indwelling you. And so get into the word. Be a student of the word. But we see there in verse number nine, I wanted to review this, that last word in the verse. Can we all say that together? Gainsayers. What is a gainsayer? Uh, gainsayers are those who speak against. Uh, specifically here, those that speak against truth. Uh, they, are, they are diametrically opposed to the Holy Spirit and to the word of God and to God. Uh, they speak against truth. They are opposers of truth. And they contrast um, the, the teacher that God has set up, the called person. The one is 
uh, who is to preach and teach the word of God. They are opposed to them as well. And uh, we see a contrast here. If you look at uh, verse number 10, we see the contrast. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, and the list goes on there. We're going to key on one word there uh, on verse number 10. Look at it, if you will. There are many, what's the next word? Unruly. Well, we saw that uh, verse a little bit earlier, or we saw that word used a little bit earlier, but I want to key in on one of the qualifications of the bishop or the pastor. He is not to be, one of the first things that is said there, he's not to be self-willed. He's not to be self-willed. It's not his will. It is the Lord's will that he is trying to lead the church into. It is not his agenda. Um, There is order. God is a God of order. He is a God of design and order. If you look around at creation, God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh, but there is an order to his design. And uh, the closer you look at creation, the the, the, the greater you will be convinced that God is a God of order. And so he says... That, that there are many who are unruly. They are uh, those that are self-willed. They are not people of integrity. Um, we look at um, the pastor or the bishop. Uh, one of the qualifications for his children in verse number six is that they would be faithful and not accused of riot or, what's the next word in verse six? The last word there is unruly. See that? Same word that's used in verse number 10. What does that mean? Unruly. Anapatakoi. Uh, it's a Greek word that means undisciplined. Uh, the best way to say that is that they are rebellious. Rebellious. We're going to key in on that today. Uh, rebellion. The Bible says that rebellion is as the sin. It's compared to the sin of witchcraft. Uh, because rebellion is in the heart of all of us. We uh, got into the curse. Uh, mankind was cursed, and under the curse, we're under God's curse because of rebellion. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, um, and that continues on till this day. All of us have rebellion. The Bible says rebellion is uh, bound in the heart of a child, right? Uh, all of us are born into this world as rebels, and uh, we uh, are insubordinate against truth, even, where we go against God. Now, we have an understanding of right and wrong in our hearts, in our conscience. God put that there. But our will is many times to rebel against order, God's truth, right from wrong. Uh, We want to do that which is wrong when the Holy Spirit is saying, no, you need to do what is right. Uh, We don't like rules. Talk to anybody uh, in their most honest and transparent moments, and they will tell you, no, we don't like rules. None of us do. Uh, We want to do what we want to do. Uh, We don't like that word authority. We bristle at control and all of those things because we as Americans especially... We like our freedom, and I, there's nothing wrong with that, liking freedom. Uh, but even in a free society, guess what there are? There are laws, aren't there? There's always going to be rules, law and order. Some people think freedom, their understanding of freedom and liberation is no rules. What is that called? Anarchy. Nobody wants to live in that society. Nobody does. 
um, the violent protests that we have seen over the last few years that have been uh, considered by some as peaceful protests, but they've been very violent, uh, astoundingly high murder rates, all of those things, violent crime, out-of-control children. That's a sign of the last days, perilous times. Um, those that are uh, not obeying the rules and the laws of the land. There's a breakdown of the home even, gay marriage, trans- transgenderism. That's a re- we live in a rebellious generation. Any baby boomers here? If you dare to raise your hand. You consider yourself a baby boomer? You're a young man. Aren't you a Gen Xer? Oh, man. Oh, you're a, are you a baby boomer? Okay, all right. Well, any, re- any other rebellious baby boomers here today? Okay, that's another rebellious generation. Boomers, uh, in your generation, they, there was a battle of the sexes that was fought. Uh, the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s. Um, it was also known as sexual liberation, war protests, rock and roll, um, Elvis, the pelvis, uh, abortion, birth control pills. But guess what? The boomers were not the first rebellious generation. Boomers, your parents, your grandparents were breaking society's rules in the 20s and 30s. The flappers, um, those that wore skirts that showed their ankles and swimwear that exposed bodies, even dancing the Charleston, right? Some, some girls in that day even wore pants. See, every generation has become uh, known as a rebellious generation. So we can't just blame one group of people. I know, I know you boomers want to blame the Gen Xers and the, oh, the millennials. Oh, what a horrible generation, right? And so on. But you can't blame them unless you blame yourself as well. So you know what the problem is with many of us? We have a spirit of rebellion that is built in. We are unruly by nature. We don't want to follow the rules. We, 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 uh, we fight back against authority. Many times we follow what feels right rather than what is right. We don't want to follow rules, obey authority that God has put over us. By nature, I have a spirit of rebellion. I, I have a gift, I think, uh, for making smart remarks. And I find myself many times not in sheer rebellion or outward rebellion, but I find myself in a spirit of rebellion. I'm like that little boy whose mother said to him, son, sit down. And he wouldn't sit down. He was about four years old. She said, son, sit down. And he continued to stand. Finally, she took both hands and she set him in the chair. And he sat down for a little while and he looked at his mother and said, I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> now, many of us are that way. I think we, are, uh, we grudgingly get under God's authorities and we say, okay, fine. I'll do what you want. We, we conform. We conform but there's really not any transformation. And I understand that sometimes the people that are over us, they themselves are unruly. And it takes wisdom from God to know when it's right and wrong to, uh, 
uh, to know when it's time to, uh, to uh, go against even some authority that has been put into our life. The only time, I'm going to tell you right now, like I said, we need wisdom from God, but the only time it is ever right to go against authority is when that authority is going against God's word. Sometimes we don't like what we're being told, but it is good for us to submit to God's authorities. I'm going to tell you something about our our homes. I'm speaking to many parents here. Around the dinner table, when you begin to gripe and when you begin to complain, moms and dads, and you begin to criticize the principal, you criticize the teacher, the police officer, pastors, parents, even our presidents, which I'll be honest with you, I bristle myself under government. I bristle under some authorities. I think all of us can relate to that. But how do we respond? Where is our spirit? Is our spirit one to to complain and to gripe and go against authority? Or is ours one to submit to the Lord, number one, submit to our Heavenly Father, and then submit to the, the circumstances, if you will. It's not even, it can, sometimes it's not even a person, but our situation, our circumstances that God has allowed us to be in. And for those that he has put over us, how is our attitude and our spirit towards those that God has put over us or to the situation that God has put us in? As we have that attitude of rebellion, the spirit of rebellion around the dinner table with our children, I'm going to tell you it's going to come back to haunt you. Many times we think, well, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm allowed to complain, I'm allowed to gripe. You better be careful about what you are demonstrating to your children, what you are teaching to your children by your actions. Because you might think, well, my children, I, I'm helping them because, you know, they were, they were done wrong. Their teacher was wrong. And it doesn't matter if the teacher was wrong. I'm going to tell you something. When I was a kid, there were times where the teacher was wrong. But guess whose side my parents took? the side of authority, because they were trying to teach me something, that even though authorities can be wrong, there's a right way to handle that, and there's a wrong way to handle that. And sometimes it was done in a way that I didn't know about. Things were talked about privately with the teacher, with the principal, things were dealt with, but it was always in a spirit of submission to God's authority. If your authority is wrong, I believe, it's, I believe it is appropriate at times to appeal to your authority and to ask for clarification, to go to them in the right way, in the right spirit, and, um, and to share your heart or to give your cause for whatever the issue is. There is appropriate times for that. But griping and complaining and, dare I say, even gossiping about people uh, and just to complain, that is going to come back to haunt you as a parent and, because guess what your children are going to do? Guess, by the way, guess who you are to your children? You are an authority. And you are training your children to fight and rebel against God's authority. You might be saying, well, it's not, I'm not teaching them to rebel against me. Yes, you are. They will rebel against you. 
Hold up God's authority figures in your children's life. You're gonna say, when you have a little rebel on your hands, you're gonna say, what in the world happened? Why are they not submitting to authority, to my authority? So we see here that they were unruly. Those that go against God and his word are, first of all, unruly. The Bible says there in verse number 10, for there are many unruly, and then he says, and vain talkers, empty talkers, saying and teaching things that amount to nothing and are worthless. Their teaching has helped no one. We've got churches that are full of just people that get up in a spouse philosophy and a spouse um, things that are just not, not helpful to the church. We talked, I believe it was last Sunday, about those that water down the scriptures, water down the word of God. And we think, well, we got to help God out because this, this message is not popular. It's never been popular. Calling out rebellion is never popular. Calling out a sinner and sin is never popular in society but I said last week, I talked about how that we, we should be thankful. I, I'm so thankful for the conviction that the Word of God brings. It's not always fun <laughs> to be under conviction, but we should be thankful that we, uh, we are being talked to by the Holy Spirit. What a comfort it is to know that God is speaking to us. And conviction helps us to, uh, to deal with sin and to get things right with the Lord and right with others. And so it is important that those that um, are in authority or in a place of leadership in the church, they would be ones that are uh, speaking truth, not just, uh, not just uh, you know, speaking in riddles, <laughs> but that they are clear and they are direct in the word of God that they are preaching. Amen. So we see here in verse number 10, there are many unruly, they're rebellious at heart, there are many vain talkers, and deceivers, uh, misleading. They misled themselves and others away from the truth. Because they turned away from truth, the only other option is to go into error and to go down a wrong path here. And uh, what people do that are uh, deceivers, they not only have deceived themselves, they're deceiving others and they're taking others with them in their false beliefs. Then we see number four here, legalists. You see that in verse number 10. Uh, especially they of the circumcision. The circumcision. Well, what was that? Uh, they are Jewish religionists. The circumcision. They were teaching uh, that people, uh, maybe they profess Christ, but they hadn't accepted the all-sufficiency of Christ and his suffering on the cross. They're saying, well, you got to add some things to this. Uh, it's not just good enough that Jesus died. You also have to be circumcised. You, you have to be baptized to go to heaven. Now, I'm so thankful that Larry, we're going to baptize him today. And I was joking on Thursday, since we have two other Larrys, we should have Larry, Larry, and Larry out there doing this baptism at Lake Michigan. But Larry, uh, you understand that you have to be saved to go to heaven. Baptism is not a requirement. Baptism is an outward uh, step of obedience in following Jesus after you're saved, uh, but it, it's, it's no more uh, different, I would say, than the symbolism of a wedding ring. When somebody is married, uh, the ring doesn't make them married. The ring signifies that there has been 
a marriage. It is a, it is a testimony of one's marriage. Baptism is a testimony of one's salvation. But those that are legalists many times will say, well, you have to be baptized to go to heaven. You have to, uh, you have to have uh, gone to confession. And in order to go to confession, you have to be confirmed and you have to do all of these other things. You have to follow the rules in order to go to heaven. By the way, I'm all for rules. We already discussed that. I'm not for rebelling. But whose rules are we following? God's way of salvation or man's idea? Religion. Is it religion? Is that what gets us to heaven? Well, uh, the church doesn't get anyone saved. The church doesn't get anyone to heaven. It's all Jesus. Uh, Everything else should be a tool uh, in the gospel. The church, God has established to be a tool for his people. Um, The church should be the uh, that lighthouse that points people to Jesus Christ. Uh, it is not the church that gets anyone to heaven. It is not works. And so these here the, of the circumcision, they were teaching that you had to do other things in order to be saved. They had refused to accept that Christ died for their sins and he actually bore the judgment and punishment for their transgression. They had refused to accept that God accepted them by faith and faith alone. God uh, takes our faith and he counts it as righteousness. God requires nothing more and nothing less than a person's total trust in him. The laying of the person's hands in the hands of God all the person is and has his total being and all that and that is all that is needed to be saved so very simply these false teachers the legalists the religionists taught that man man makes himself acceptable to god god does not accept us without the blood of jesus christ now we sing that song just as i am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me. See, we try to bring all of these things to God and say, hey God, here's my education. Hey God, here's my good works. Hey God, here's my, my lineage, uh, my, my family, my parents and grandparents, and look at all they did for, for God. Look at all they did for you. Oh, we bring all of those things to God, and he says, guess what? I'm not gonna accept any of them because those are your good works. That is you trying to make yourself acceptable to me. And the only thing that God will accept for us to go to heaven is his precious son. So salvation is so simple, but yet for many it is so difficult to understand because they think, well, if I did all these bad things, well, I must have to do some good things to be able to uh, outweigh my bad deeds and I have to be able to earn my way into heaven because everything else we do in life is merit-based, or should be, I think. But when it comes to God, God says, I only accept one merit, and that was the merit of the cross of Jesus Christ. So we see here very simply the religionists. All of these things, now we'll go through verse 16, we're not going to cover this all today, but 10 through 16, this set of verses here are, uh, is a picture, a snapshot of, of the false teachers and people that Christians need to avoid and should be aware of, uh, and they should say, I'm going to not be that kind of Christian. Very simply, 
Many times people make themselves acceptable to God. They try to by doing the best that they can, by being good, doing good, by being as religious as they can, by keeping the laws and golden rule, right? By undergoing the basic ritual of religion, baptism, confirmation, church membership, by observing and practicing the ceremonies and rules of religion, by being faithful in worship and in giving, by the way, if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, we see good works. We see good works in two different lights. And I'm going to show that to you very quickly. Ephesians chapter 2. The two views of God's salvation. An understanding of what good works are. One view is that it is something to be earned. Salvation is a free gift. The Bible says very clearly in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he, that's a key word, isn't it? He gave his only begotten son. Christmas is a few months out yet, but I always like to, I enjoy uh, the holidays and especially Christmas because of what it means and the beauty of everything, the decorations. I love that we live in a place where sometimes it snows on Christmas. Uh, but when you think about those Christmas gifts, and uh, if, as you give a gift to somebody, it should not be based, if it's a perfect gift, it should not be based on whether that person deserves it or not. And I'm so thankful that I did get some gifts as a, as a kid because I'll tell you what, if it was based on anything I'd ever done, I certainly would never have received one gift for Christmas. Because I didn't deserve to receive anything except uh, coal, you know, in my stocking and a spanking, all right? But, and uh, some of you could, could relate to that. Some of you were like my wife who, uh, you know, she would have gotten all of her gifts and my gifts for Christmas if it was based on what she, what she was doing. But um, when you love your children... There is a, a side of us that says that we need to be impartial <laughs> and uh, we need to love them equally. Amen. And God, our perfect Father, loves, loves all of his creation equally. And he loves the unsaved as well as the saved. Because, my friend, all of us have at one time in our life been in the unsaved category. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Some would like to contort that verse and say, well, he, he gave his son for those that he knew he would save. I do believe that he loved the whole world and the, and the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to save anybody that would come to God by faith. And so he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a wonderful free gift that is. But here in Ephesians 2 verse 8, we see the perspective of good works as well. Verse number 8, the Bible says, for by grace. Again, that's that same idea of a free gift. Grace is a gift, something we don't deserve. For by grace are ye saved through faith. So faith is our, it's our choice. We exercise our will to put our trust and faith in, in God. We heard on Thursday night, it is one thing to say that I trust the parachute. <laughs> it's another thing to put a parachute on and jump out of the plane. 
we might understand, uh, we might understand the theory and the, con- we might understand all of the physicality of what is going on uh, with jumping out of a plane and the parachute, how it works and all of that. But it's another thing, it's another thing to enact your trust in the parachute. You have to exercise, your, unless you're being forced out of the plane. I hope that doesn't happen, but, but it is a choice. It is a choice. Somebody in, in the academy last weekend uh, went skydiving. And I said, well, praise the Lord. I'm glad you went. I'm not going. Because I don't have that kind of uh, desire in my life. There was a time in my life, I'll be honest with you, there was a time in my life we used to drive past, I think it was Highway 20 down there in Racine, and they'd see the planes out there, and they're doing their skydiving and all that. And I'm like, man, that'd be a lot of fun. I'd love to do that. My wife still would do that, I think. And uh, she won't get on a motorcycle, but she'll jump out of a plane with a parachute on. But faith in Jesus Christ Faith for salvation is that same concept. It's one thing to understand and have a mental understanding of who God is and that Jesus was his son and we can believe all of those things. We believe that even that he died on the cross for sinners. We might even agree that we are sinners. But it's a whole other thing to say, I'm going to put my trust and faith 100%, my total dependence on Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, and that alone for salvation. Not in myself. Not in good works, because truly our works are filthy rags in the, in the eyes of God. And the Bible says here, it's by grace that we're saved through faith. And that's that exercising of our will, our trust and dependence, putting our complete and total uh, weight on Christ. And that not of yourselves, he says here. It is the, what's that next word? Gift, Gift of God. Gift, not based on merit, not based on what we deserve, but it is a free gift. God's love is a choice, that perfect agape love. He's choosing to save us. And so it's a free gift. It's not of yourselves, the gift of God. And then verse number nine, not of works. What is works? Works is self-dependence. Works is work. <laughs> Lest any man should boast, what? In himself. Because if we earn our salvation, guess what? We can boast in ourselves. And the point is, the point is, is that God, what God's saying here, you cannot boast because you cannot earn. You don't deserve it. It's a gift given to you. It'd be as silly as a child being given a gift by their parents and saying, what a good person I am to deserve this gift, knowing full well that they, are, they were wretched and they're, uh, they're, they were on the naughty list that year, you know, and they say, I was such a good person to deserve this gift. And in fact, I went out and worked hard and I bought and paid for this gift. That's silly because you know, you know that, that four-year-old or five-year-old? What, what is the naughtiest age? I used to think it was the terrible twos and I'm thinking it's the terrible threes. I'm not gonna tell you why I think that, but I do have a three-year-old. And I love AJ, but I'm thinking, you know, AJ, AJ, you, you don't deserve, you don't deserve this. And if AJ were to say, well, daddy, I've been so good all year. I never did one thing wrong ever. And, uh, and then on top of that, I went out and, and I earned this gift. I worked for it. I paid for it. And I'd ask him, so where's the receipt? Where's the receipt for the gift? But, you know, God can say, I have the receipt. 
I paid for that. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for it. And he earned it. And so for us to boast in something that God gave to us is silly. To boast in ourselves. But we can boast in God all day long. Glory to God. Praise God for what he did for me. I didn't do it. God did it. Verse number 10. For we are his workmanship. It was his design. It's his plan. It's his work. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, now we see the other aspect of works. After we're saved, God gives us an opportunity to do things to bring glory to him. The Bible says, let your light so so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Salvation, salvation is God's work. Sanctification is God working through us. It's God's product. It's his workmanship. He's producing all of these things through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and all of those, those uh, the fruit of the Spirit, all of the work of God, it is uh, extrapolated into all of the things that we can physically and tangibly say, well, this is something that, that God did through me. Whether it was bringing somebody to the Lord Jesus in salvation and telling them the good news. Well, that's a work, isn't it? But that's God's work through us. Uh, whether it is being kind to somebody and, and, and doing something uh, so that they would turn to Christ and would glorify our Father. That is God's work through us. Forgiveness and, and, and all of the things that we might say, well, that's pretty good. But you know what? At the end of the day, it wasn't for salvation because we can't work our way into heaven. But after salvation... If we're patting ourselves on the back, we're pretty stupid because it was God's Holy Spirit enabling us to do all of those things. Man, it should be for God's glory. It is not for our glory. It's for God's glory. He says we are his workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He wants us to produce. He wants us to do all of those things. But oh, may we be so careful in the church that we, would not, uh, that we would not lay burdens upon people and say you have to do all of these things in order to please God. You have to do all of these things in order to earn God's favor. We don't deserve any of that. We don't deserve uh, God's favor and God's love. It'd be uh, important for us to understand that we need to uh, be careful of those that would deceive, those that would... Uh, water down the message of the gospel and those that would have a spirit of rebellion. Avoid those type of people. They're going to bring you down. Be in a place where the preaching of God, God's word is clear and is powerful. It is not the pastor, but the, the pastor is the uh, instrument that God uses. And if he is somehow watering down the scriptures, avoid that situation. Uh, if you have somebody that you like to watch or listen to, are they preaching the word of God clearly? Is it being watered down? Uh, does that person have a spirit of rebellion? Maybe some of your friends and acquaintances, you might say, well, they're, they're, they're saved, they're Christians. In fact, they're the ones that led me to the Lord. Well, is their spirit one that is, uh, is rebelling against God or God's authority? How about uh, yourself? May you be careful, may I be careful that we are not, uh, we are not living our life uh, complaining, griping, conforming on the outside, but on the inside, we are just, we're at, we are not at peace in our life because we're not surrendered to God's authorities. You know what? I don't always like the red lights. 
I like the green lights a lot better than the red lights, typically. Sometimes I like red lights, but most of the time, I don't, I don't care to stop. I like to keep driving. How about you? And I'm not going to call for a raise of hands, but I know there's some people that sometimes don't obey the red lights, because I've seen it. I hope it wasn't you, but uh, there's times where we get close, don't we? We kind of push that, that yellow light a little too much. And some of you might say, I love the yellow lights. It gives, me a, gives me some, it gives me a challenge, you know, to get through the intersection. But we need to be careful about how we conduct ourselves, okay? Not just at the intersections. Be careful. I know some people might stop at the green lights because they're afraid of the people coming through the red lights. So I get that. But in our, in our walk, in our life, in our, uh, the way that we interact, the way that we live and think, are we living where we are just rebelling against authority? We might be there and saying, well, I'm going to conform, but I don't agree with this. I don't like this. Have that spirit of rebellion. The Bible is very clear that that is, that is not of God. As I said at the beginning of the message, that's what got us into this mess. Rebelling against God. Being kind of loose. Well, did he say, you know, the devil is really good at that. Did he mean what he said? Heard a story about a, a preacher that was up one day and he said, he was reading the word of God and he was trying to preach the word of God. And he said, well, you know, this is what the Bible says, but God didn't really mean it this way. <laughs> and uh, he, he went along and he, he got to another part of the message. He said, well, you know, this is what it says, but God didn't really mean this. And finally, a little girl in the, in the church whispered to her mom and said, well, if God didn't really say what he meant, then why didn't he, or why didn't, if he didn't really mean what he said, why didn't he just say what he meant? The problem is not the word, the problem's the preacher, right? And we get that kind of attitude, that rebellion. Well, you know, did he really mean that? Does God really mean what he says? We loved, we love to live on that gray area. Why don't we just get over to the part where we know what God says and we, are, we know that this is what he means and what he says and we just live that life rather than try to, uh, try to push the envelope all the time. We love to just push the issues. We love to just gripe and complain and have that uh, critical spirit. That's not going to do us any good. It's going to hinder your walk. It's going to hinder your influence. You're going, to be, you're going to be leading people down the wrong path. I, you know, there's times where I, I get that way. I get to complaining. I get to griping. But I'm thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he does it in a very, uh, very clear way. Um... As a pastor, I don't want to lead you guys the wrong way. I want to be careful about what, what I'm saying and how I'm saying it, the spirit in which I'm saying it. Why don't you, as God's people, all of us, but you, you might say, well, I'm not the pastor. I'm not in front of people. Yes, you are. You're in front of all kinds of people. People are watching your life. They're listening to how you say things, not just what you say, but how you're saying it. And you are influencing people that you might not even know about. Be ever so careful that you're not living where, you know, I just got this bad attitude. A spirit of rebellion. 
May God help us with this. You're, if you have that kind of unruly spirit, you're, that verse, verses 10 through 16 is a long list of things that, uh, that Paul is saying to avoid in the church. And uh, ultimately, the overall heading here is that these are people that oppose the truth. Do you want to be known as somebody that opposes the truth? Are you opposed to God and his word? Or are you pro-God and pro-his word, pro-truth? It's one thing to carry a Bible under your arm and say, well, I believe the word of God. It's another thing to live it out. Not just in deed, but also in our spirit. Our spirit. God looks at all of those things. Father, Lord, I do pray that you help us today, Lord, that um, as you've said in your words, out of the heart are the issues of life. We many times don't look well into the heart. We don't look into the spirit as much as we ought to. We look many times, too many times on the outward. We're looking too many times on our performance. And uh, rather than correct our hearts and rather than have a spirit that is right, Father, many times we're just, we don't worry about that. We just say, as long as I look good, as long as I'm checking the boxes, then I'm right. Father, I don't, I don't think that's what you're, you're looking at. You look at the heart. Father, help us to not live for men. Help us to live for the audience of one. We're here to please you, Lord. I pray that our spirits would be right. May we not have an unruly spirit. May we not seek to deceive. May we not seek to be religious. Help us, Lord, to embrace the message of the gospel. It's a free gift of salvation. It's not of our works. We can't boast in ourselves. So, Lord, help us to be humble. Father, I pray if there's somebody here today that is not saved, whether they're in our church here or maybe watching online, Father, I pray that you would touch their heart, continue speaking to them. I pray that today that they would, they would receive that free gift of salvation, enact their, their will by uh, putting their faith and trust and total dependence upon Jesus and the blood of Christ. I pray that you would uh, just help them today, stir them. Father, I pray that you bless this time of invitation as we encourage them to come, come boldly before that throne of grace. Father, that they would come to Jesus today.